0: Welcome to Speaking Candidly with Candace. My guest today is Lynn Bradley, an attorney in Charlottesville, Virginia. Her field of practice includes family law, divorce, and child custody cases. So, Lynn, my first question is, well, Lynn, my first question is When did you become an attorney, when and, did you why? Become an attorney and why?
1: Well, um, I graduated from law school back in 1994 and passed the bar and became a practicing Virginia attorney the same year. Um, I always had an interest in the law because um, even though no one in my family was associated with the law or a lawyer, I just always felt like it was something that was always evolving. Uh, you know, the law is always changing. I enjoy a good debate and I thought that it really fit my skill set. Um, I also um, like the creativity of it—planning a case, building a case, arguing a case. It just seemed like um, a good outlet for for um, a good creative outlet, basically. It's I funny. Specifically,
0: oh, go ahead. I was saying it's funny because I would not have thought that uh, practicing law was a creative process, but I guess in some respects it is.
1: It is very creative, especially if you're doing litigation um, because you're, you know, the law is evolving, but you're taking the law, you're taking your facts and you're creating your best case, building your best argument, um, preparing to counteract the anticipated arguments of the other side. So it, it is very creative and I, I've really enjoyed that aspect of it.
0: Well, let's go back to, um, Divorce cases, Divorce cases in particular, because, because um, what I understand um, is experts said, said that there is 39% chance that a couple will get divorced in 2022, 2022. compared to 50% yeah. back in 1980. in 1980. I hear you
1: are ready to, jump on, were ready to jump on that with the response. Yeah, I haven't checked the recent statistics for 2022. Um, I know that the CDC does put out divorce rates yearly and they don't have every state in there. I think they, they gather from about 43 states in the district of Columbia and clearly divorces appear to be down. Um, and you know, the marriage rate also appears to be down. So I think less people are getting married, less people are getting divorced. People are living more, you know, just living together. And living that way. So that may be part of it. I think COVID had a lot to do with it. We did see during that time, whether it be for financial reasons or just, um, you know, people couldn't afford to move to different residences, Um, they were kind of cooped up together. And so we did see a decrease during the pandemic Um, as we started things started to improve with COVID. Uh, we did get a bit of a flood of folks. Um, historically, January through March are our, um, are our busiest months for divorce and family law. And I think, you know, coming off of the holidays, people are thinking about, you know, the start of a new year, a new start in life. And, and it seems to be a time where we get a lot of phone calls um, for divorce work after January or starting in January.
0: Well, let's, I'm going to follow up with that. In your opinion, what do you think most individuals want to get out of a divorce?
1: Well, I think it varies. Um, Usually when people think about it, they're citing reasons for a divorce. And sometimes those reasons are just a symptom of a deeper problem. You know, um, I I think that, um, you know, obviously, any kind of infidelity is something that, you know, is obviously causes havoc on a marriage. Um, but financial strains, communication, um, I've had people come for all different reasons. I had one woman who had been married to her husband for, I mean, they were married over 60 years. years and the thing that drove her uh, was not being included in an obituary when, um, one of his family members died. It, it just, it really varies. I think that the trigger, um, doesn't necessarily always reflect the underlying problems that have been in the marriage for some time. And so, um, you know, some people just grow apart. Um, some people think the grass is greener on the other side, um, sometimes people are together while the children are at home. But when the kids go off to college, they find that they really don't have anything in common anymore. And the thing that kind of held them together that they directed their energy toward, the things the children were doing, is no longer there as a distraction. And so oftentimes well, we see folks really transition at that point.
0: Well, when I asked that, question I, asked that question, I was sort of wondering, wondering if you feel that people who are getting a divorce and as a divorcee a myself, you know, there's the financial aspect. What can I gain financially? And then there's the emotional aspect. And in the case of maybe somebody committing adultery, there might be the revenge. So I was wondering if you wanted to talk about that, if you
1: could. Sure. Um, obviously, let me start with the financial because I, um, you know, if you think about it, you have one pie, your family finances are a pie. And usually when folks separate and divorce, you're splitting that pie in some fashion and nobody has the same size piece that they did before. So usually financially, um, you know, the stresses of finances cause turmoil in the marriage. And that may be what's triggering people in a, from a financial aspect, but usually um, divorce is not, Necessarily a solution to improve your finances um, in most cases. Um, in terms of the emotional, um, obviously, I tend to feel that adultery, at least what I've seen, is really a symptom, usually, of other problems in the marriage. Um, and it's not always actually adultery. Um, you know, the physical, it could be just an emotional affair, it could be, um, you know, that one of the spouses starts relying on somebody else, maybe somebody at work or somebody in a club or somebody they meet elsewhere that starts sort of filling up their emotional tank. And, um, it could be as simple as that to make them realize what they're missing or what's not happening in their marriage. Um, you know, obviously there are cases where, um, there's infidelity and the other spouse leaves and, I don't know if it's so much revenge or if it's more just, you know, just emotional, they're emotionally distraught and they can't trust the person. Um, you know, everybody's experience is very different. I will say I'm also divorced and I think as you're going through a divorce and there's a period afterward, um, where you're, you're, I call it divorce psychosis, <laughs> <laughs> not a, you know, not a technical diagnosis, but I think when you're in it, even in cases where people both really agree that they want to separate and divorce, uh, it really does cause you, um, I always tell people don't make major, major decisions regarding that, you know, jumping into a new relationship with someone. It's usually better to give yourself some time to really process and get through things before you start something new. I I see a lot of people do that and jump into something new and it's, it usually doesn't end very well, unfortunately. Um, So I, I think everybody's response is very different. I will say I do different types of divorce and I find the process that people use can usually help dictate the outcome, the emotional outcome that people have. I mean, there's traditional Litigated Divorce, which I did for many, 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 many years. Um, it's what people think of. It's in the courtroom. It's, it's involving litigation and all the things that, that um, preface the, the actual trial or the litigation, the settlement conferences and discovery and things. But I also do and have do, been doing mostly since 2004 something called Collaborative Divorce and collaborative divorce is a completely different way to um to to transition your marriage or your family um and it involves two collaboratively trained attorneys one represents each spouse and it's kind of a it's certainly kind of similar to a mediation circumstance however the attorneys who are trained actually are the ones who um, make the process happen there's no separate mediator And what's nice about that is folks have their attorney, they have their representation right there. They're able to get legal advice and, you know, be presented with the law and they can understand, we can gather information, it's all confidential, but we meet in a series of four-way sessions with the spouses and the attorneys. And if we've hired a mental health coach or something to participate, they would meet as well. And we're able to sort of look at it more of as opposed to an oppositional thing, more of a problem solving. Okay, here are our assets. Here's what we have to divide. What are the best options for us? And we examine and we gather data, we examine options and we help the people make what is a really informed choice. And um, I find that when people uh, deal with each other in a more respectful forum, um you know, litigation tends to exacerbate any kind of disagreement the folks have just by its very nature. It's oppositional. But when people are sort of moving in the same direction in the process, um, it's not always without confrontation. But um, I think that they can live better by the agreements they make, because it's something that they've decided after much consideration. Um, right. Is that sort of the new
0: You mentioned the mediation, and is that collaborative divorces
1: relatively new compared to mediation? Well, collaborative divorce has been around for some time. Um, It's been in the Charlottesville area since approximately 2004. Um, There were a group of attorneys that were trained, and then they brought a training here, and we had a larger group of family law attorneys trained in the area. Now, I will say that. from a financial aspect, I think um, for the attorney, our, our fees are not as high when we do collaborative as opposed to litigation. <laughs> so, But it also okay. sounds like you're also
0: sort of acting as a counselor in some way and that there's an emotional connection there and you're kind of playing therapist kind of playing as therapist.
1: well as attorney. Well, I, I, I think the reason we are called attorney and counselors at law for a reason, I think that you know, other than just practicing law, I would never state that I have any mental health training or that I'm practicing in that realm. But I think doing this long enough, you've learned how to recognize when people need that support. <coughs> Excuse me. One of the nice things about, I'm sorry, one of the nice things about collaborative law is we have mental health professionals in town that are collaboratively trained and they can work with us to help folks the emotional because sometimes it's not a matter of the financial not a matter of you know it's the assets are pretty clear support is fairly clear it's the people aren't able to emotionally make a decision they just can't take that next step and we have folks in town who are mental health professionals who are also collaboratively trained who can act sort of as a divorce coach it's not marriage counseling but they help people through the process they help them process the emotional so they can move forward to making sound decisions for themselves and, and really transitioning the family from one that's together to one that's divorced and co-parenting. Um, and it, it really has been a, a wonderful process.
0: They say the American Sociological Association said that nearly 70% of divorces are initiated by women. Do you find that that's, Do you find that that's true?
1: um i think just this is all anecdotal from what i've experienced um i represent both men and women i will lately it seems to trend more men for whatever reason um i i think that there is some truth to that um just in my experience and i don't know exactly why that is i think that um and this is going to, you know, I'm going to talk about stereotypes here, but from what I see, um, still in society, I think oftentimes it's the woman in the relationship that is sort of taking the lead on the emotional health of the family. And um, at some point, I think, you know, I've seen women just try their hardest to keep things together. And I find that you know, when women are done, they're kind of done. And, um, even when they, in my, in my experience, even when the women didn't initiate the divorce and maybe it was the the husband that initiated the divorce, um, oftentimes once the wife gets past sort of the, you know, the emotion of it, they kind of say, yeah, you know, this is something I want, I want, and, or this is something I can live with. And, um, they're able to move past and see their life and, you know, with a different future. Um, so I don't, you know, obviously I don't want to stereotype, but in my experience, I, I think that's true. I, I often find that that when the woman is sort of made up her mind that she's done, whether it be because she instituted, she initiated things or because she's come to that realization after the husband has suggested it. Um, you know, I, I definitely think that's true. I am speaking
0: from personal experience in my own divorce, which I initiated. I just wanted out. Um, we just were not growing the same way and changing and not getting into too much of the details. But my attorney gave me great advice, but I didn't quite listen to it because I was so emotionally a wreck. I just wanted it over. I wanted to do the quickest way to get out of that relationship. Mm-hmm. So my question, long way to get to the question is when someone comes to you wanting a divorce, what is the conversation like and what can they expect from an attorney?
1: Well, usually we start with a consultation and um, obviously we get some background and understand what's brought them to that point point. Um, oftentimes it's not the person who's initiating the divorce. It might be that, you know, husband or wife has said, I, I, I want, I want to separate or I want a divorce. And, uh, you know, the, the other client contacts me, the other spouse contacts me and doesn't quite know what to do they, you know? Um, so it depends where they are in kind of the acceptance process. Um, usually during a consultation, we'll gather information, we'll identify, you know, areas of, of not necessarily disagreement, but areas we need to explore areas where we need to focus, whether that's property division or support or custody or, you know, whatever seems to be the major things that need to be decided. We focus on what to do, you know, immediately, um, to protect yourself and, um, you know, and then we focus on the more long-term and we try to come up with a process. Do we try to draft a separation agreement? Do we respond to one that's been drafted? Do they try mediation? Do they file for divorce? Is it a litigation matter right away? Um, Do they just file for support or custody in the juvenile court? Or do we go into a collaborative law setting and try to you know, quell things and and try to establish some stability for the family while we go through the divorce process. So um, usually it starts with that. It starts with the consultation. It also, you know, usually it's just helping people have a direction or how to talk to their spouse. Sometimes they get calls and I consult with people who haven't talked to their spouse yet about wanting to separate and they just want to understand what that might look like and what their options are. Um, how interesting best that? Interesting. Yeah, interesting. I, I, I do get a lot of those calls. Yeah,
0: what what is your opinion of prenups, and have you ever done a prenup for a couple?
1: Yes, I have. Um, I think pre. I, I personally didn't have a prenup when I got married. Um, uh, you know, we we were both fairly young, and and um, you know, we talked about it. We didn't feel like it was necessary at that point, um, but I do think people who are getting married a second or a third time, if they have assets coming into the marriage, if they have other children from other parties, whether they've been married before or not, I I think a prenup is so important. Um, I think it's one of the, I mean, people always say, oh, that's such a bad omen. I don't want to bring that up. Exactly. Exactly. Why think about that. Well, I think it's one of the most loving things you could do for each other, because it allows everybody to understand going in kind of the position uh, that they'd be in. I, I don't even want to say it that way. Maybe not the position, but it opens up dialogue, I think is important because not everybody that's getting married has always asked those questions or had those important financial decisions. It also says, look, I care enough about you that in the event something would happen in this relationship, I don't want us to go through a a litigated, contentious, horrible divorce. Um, Prenuptial agreements aren't necessarily even just for divorce purposes. Some people put some agreements in there regarding the marriage. Um, You know, I've heard of prenups that say how frequently they're going to attend church service or how they're going to raise their children when they, you know, if they have them. I've I've seen that. everybody talks about prenuptial agreements and obviously those happen prior to marriage, but there's also something called a post nuptial agreement that people aren't quite as familiar with. So if people have already gotten married, but they want to do planning more like they would have done in a prenuptial agreement, they can do that. Uh, they can do that after marriage in a post nuptial agreement. And, um, you know, it's not too late. Um, I think it's, I, I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Um, I would not get married again without one.
0: Well, you've kind of convinced me not to get married again without one. Um, I never heard of the postnuptials, and that makes some sense. Mm-hmm. And I take it all of these laws are state by state.
1: Yes. Divorce law does vary. Uh, it is, it, it's state-based. Um, and so, What is the law in Virginia may not be the law in Pennsylvania, may not be the law in Ohio, may not be the law in California. They do vary significantly. Um, So if you're thinking of getting a divorce and, you know, sometimes there's a question of which jurisdiction it should be filed in, which state, you know, sometimes we have somebody that's moved from another state and come here. Um, They own property in another state and it's always a good inquiry. You know, where, where's the best place to proceed? On this, so so let me.
0: We're talking about the couple or the people that are getting through divorce, and it's obviously an emotional time. Lawyers, and I'm guessing that family law attorneys are also more susceptible to depression and anxiety from handling these cases. Would you say that that's true? And how do you handle not getting emotionally? drained from working with couples and child custody and things like that?
1: Um, I, I, I think it's difficult. I, I can't give you statistics as to which area of the law, you know, is more emotional for the attorney. Um, I think it takes a, a special skill set to be a family law attorney. Um, I know for me, child custody cases are still You know they're they're emotional. Um, I I have to detach from that because I do my best work when I'm not, you know, focusing on feelings and more focusing on facts and how to how to get the best result for my client and do, you know, what's in the best interest of the children. And um, so I I do find that for me personally, custody is still a bit draining. Um, The equitable distribution, which is property and debt division. Um, for me, I kind of look at that like a puzzle. Um, and so I can detach a little bit easier um, when it comes to that. I think, you know, people have enough, uh, clients have enough people to be emotional with, um, you know, family members, friends, um, folks like that who are, who will, you know, just discuss with them emotions, you know commiserate with him, things like that. And of course, I think I'm a pretty empathetic person just in general, but you're you're not hiring me to do that. You're hiring me to help you move forward through the maze that is divorce law and come out with what is going to be your best outcome on the other side. So uh, through the years, I mean you definitely build that skill, I think, as you continue to practice. Um, I will say custody still tugs at my heart a bit. Um, but I I find for me, um, I, I, keep things in, I try to keep things in perspective and try to, you know, tamp down some of the emotion as much as I can. Um, because really once you get to the point where it is a divorce, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of aggravation. There's a lot of fear, um, there's so many emotions that people are having. But I want them to make decisions, good, clear-minded decisions, not based on fear or based on maybe guilt, if you have the client that maybe is the one who wants the divorce or committed adultery, or not based on um, you know, just aggravation I want to get this over with. I want him or her out of my life. Um, I want them to make decisions based on, uh, almost like a business decision. Let's look six months down the road. Let's look a year down the road. Let's look five years down the road. What is life going to look like? When you're talking about property division and support, I think taking as much as possible the emotion out of it allows people to make good, clear-headed decisions based on facts and you know forecasts and things like that. Um, it, it's very easy for people to get wrapped up in emotion. And when they do make those decisions, you know, six months from now, they may not feel that that was the best decision to make. So
0: that is so true. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking from my own personal experience and I am a businesswoman. I have been a business woman all my life, but when it comes to personal matters and particularly divorce, it was, Mm -hmm. my emotions were so high and so raw. I couldn't control it. And I feel like I could have made better decisions had I not been the emotional Mm -hmm. wreck that I was. Um, I'm curious because we talked about the journey that people have through divorce and life and your own journey, just out of curiosity, do you recall your first divorce case and what was the most challenging aspect for you at the time? Yes,
1: I do. Um, When I um, graduated from law school, I started to work in Southwestern Virginia for a sole practitioner and um, I, it's maybe my third day of practicing law ever. And I will tell you, they teach you lots of good theory and they teach you how to think in law school, but they don't teach you things, at least back then, um, like how to file a case and how to do like the day-to-day practical parts of practicing law, you kind of learn that on the job. They're getting better in law schools because they have more, they do have more practical experience. They have clinics and things like that, that the students participate in, but well, back then I knew a lot of theory <laughs> about a lot of different areas of the law because I had just taken the bar exam. And um I walked in and it was my second day of work. And um my boss at the time, a very seasoned litigator who practiced many different areas practiced in many different areas of the law, hands me the size of a staple staples box filled with paper and said, You have a commissioner's hearing in two weeks. Basically what that is, some jurisdictions, instead of um, going straight to the judge, there'll be a commissioner that's appointed to um, hear the evidence and make preliminary findings and things. And so I, I, you know, he's like an equitable distribution case. And I thought, okay, great. And I took the box back to my office and I sat down and I thought, what in the heck is equitable distribution? (laughs) I mean, I knew what it was, but just to wrap my head around it. So um, you learn quickly. And I put in so many hours in that first case. And I just remember it was kind of baptism by fire. Um, I, I, you know, it kind of hit the ground running. And my client was a lovely woman. We did a great job for her. But um, I just remember thinking, oh my goodness, what have I gotten myself into? Um, and then I practiced down there for a while. And then I came to Charlottesville in 96.
0: Because, you know, it's. The law, and as an attorney, and you know this as well as everybody else, you make a huge difference or impact on somebody's life. So the outcome of whatever you're doing has a tremendous effect on what's going to happen to that person's life in the future. That's got to be very stressful.
1: It is. It's, it's, I, I feel very blessed to have the opportunity to help people through really such a difficult part in their life. In addition to family law, I also do bankruptcy and some injury work. And so, you know, I'm always dealing with people who are in crisis and, um, I, I feel very blessed to have, you know, to be in a position to help people in that way. Um, but yes, it, it is stressful. Um, the weight of that, um, is, it can be very heavy sometimes, but I will say, um, I've learned to I, I I I do a lot of self care. Um, I I try to de stress, um, but but I also help people understand their rights and responsibilities. And my job is to really help them navigate to you know develop the best evidence to put on the best case I can. Um, But at some point I have to understand, I can't change the facts. You know, I, I mean, some things kind of are what they are and you develop them in the best way you can. And I can only be so responsible for people's choices. I can set out the pros and cons of different decisions, and then I have to let them make those decisions. I think I've gotten better at that as the years have gone on. Um, You know, I have a responsibility um, to represent my client as, you know, to the very best of my ability and to make sure that they are making informed decisions may not be the decision I would choose, but for them to understand kind of the pros and cons and the consequences of what they're deciding, hoping, you know, they're, they're putting, like I said, the emotion away and trying to look forward looking to make the best decision. And so I do find that, you know, when I've done that, I've, I've done the best I can for people, Um, you know, they, the choice is theirs, how they want to proceed and what they want to agree to and not agree to. And, you know, it's their lives moving forward. They have that autonomy. And I always want to give them the best environment to make that decision, you know, best information, the best opportunity to make that decision. So I I, I used to carry a lot more of that responsibility for people's choices. Um, And I've learned that, you know, to kind of put that down a little bit as, as the years have gone on. Sounds like
0: a, a good yeah, mental health practice. A good health practice. On that um, note, we are running that's close that's out to out of time. I want to ask you that's one bad. other question that I'm very curious about it's is good. when a couple or someone has come it's to you a for a, a divorce, divorce, has anybody in the process ever said, no, I
1: changed my mind? Changed mind. Um. Yes. Um, absolutely in the collaborative process one of the one of the nice things about that particularly is we are helping people plan for now and in the future i've had folks who participated in the collaborative process they were a young couple i represented the husband another collaborative attorney in town represented the wife and while they were doing the collaborative process and trying to they didn't have children but trying to divide their assets and their debts and discuss support and things like that They were also doing marriage counseling to try to keep their marriage together. And sometimes I find if people can kind of put the financial out of the way and they can, they can make decisions on that and they can have a little certainty about that, that allows that not to be such a distraction and they can get to sort of the underlying, you know, root cause of maybe what is causing problems in their relationship. They did in fact, stay together for quite some time. They did divorce ultimately and they had the collaborative agreement already done. So it was relatively easy for them to do so at that point. But, yeah, I mean, there are people that do change their mind for sure. Well, Lynn Bradley, and I urge people to try everything before they go down this road. Um, so well, thank yeah. you for that positive note.
0: Um, and for being here today and taking time out of your busy schedule. Uh, to my listeners, as always, thank you for checking this podcast out. It's okay not to be okay. If you or someone you know needs help, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. Or text Crisis Text Line HOME to seven four one seven four one.